Why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside? One, two, three, four. This is the Prying Priest Podcast, and I'm Father Yuri Hladio. You're listening to the first half of an unedited interview about the personal stories of amazing people and why they have come to believe what they do. For the second half of these interviews, you can become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash pryingpriest. But for now, enjoy the show. Welcome, Dr. Daniel Opperwall to the Prying Priest Podcast. Well, thank you, Father. You have been a request. Really? <laughs> yes. Okay. We have had a request to have you on this podcast. Oh, my goodness. Um, a, a previous guest of mine, Max Harwood, uh, living in BC, he he really wants some of the professors that we had at uh, the U of T to be on the podcast. So uh, Wonderful. You're... Well, hello, Max, and uh, thank you for, for putting me forward for this. <laughs> uh, so, Dr. Opperwall, or Dan, as I call you, Yep. Uh, we, I think we have uh, a very interesting relationship, a very dynamic and ever-changing relationship. We do. I've, I've often called it the most awkward relationship <laughs> I, I think it is in the history of the world. One of the most awkward, friendly relationships. Yes. Because they're in, awkward and in a bad way at all. It's not awkward right. in a bad way at all. <laughs> it's so just a funny, when, it's a funny saga we've had. Yeah. I, I first met you when I, I was living in Winnipeg and I had come to visit Hamilton for one reason or another. I think it may have been my sister's wedding or, or something of that sort. And I was in Hamilton and I visited uh, All Saints of North America Church in, in East Hamilton. And you were there and Greg Weeb was there as well. And I remember coming downstairs in, in fellowship and chatting with you and, and Greg. I don't know if you remember that at all. Oh, I do. I absolutely do. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that was the first time we met. And then Greg ended up actually moving to Winnipeg. And Greg wasn't Orthodox, but was interested in Orthodoxy. And then he ended up coming to my church, and that ended up becoming Orthodox. And then you came up, uh, you and Eleni and, and the kids came up to Winnipeg, and you were actually the godparents for the yeah. whole family? That's right. That no, just the kids. Just the kids, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then, so then I met you there again. Right, so we we're starting to get to know, e starting to know of each other's existence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was just, you know, a regular old citizen at that point. And then I decided to come to Hamilton, uh, to move to Hamilton and go to school in Toronto. And I started doing that. And you were one of the professors at the school, so maybe you could take the story from from here. Yeah, so we went to from sort of friends to then then Yuri, uh, father, you know, was my student and. Uh, a uh, good student, for sure. Uh, also, Father Yuri's father was my student at the same time, so that made it sort of interesting as well. And father and son uh, <laughs> in my classes. Uh, I, had, I had people that didn't know that he was my dad, and I would, like, talk to him like I normally talk to him, which yes. would be like, I, I think that idea is stupid. Or, you know, like, ah, I, I think you're off base here. Well, what about this? And trying to challenge him, and people would be like, do you, you talk on? like that to a priest? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so Father Yuri's father is also a priest. Uh <laughs> All sorts of interesting. And so now Father Yuri is uh, my parish priest at the mission in uh, in Hamilton. Uh, so we've, we've had an interesting arc um, uh, grading your uh, basically a friend's papers, basically. Uh, and now now he's uh, my parish priest. So uh, well, you, you went from well, like grading your friend's papers to grading your friend who is also your priest's. Yes, papers. that's right. There was that that point was really the the, the ultimate. 
when you were both my priest and my yeah. student and and my friend. Also. So I'm I'm in divinity school to study to be a priest. I am a priest, and one of the professors that's marking my grades to assess whether or not I'd actually be good at this job, <laughs> I am his priest. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that's very fun. That's very fun. Um, I know kind of bits and pieces of your story, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm hoping we can sort of dive into different aspects of your story. Uh, I we I tried my hand at podcasting like two or three years ago. And it never went anywhere. But I interviewed you for that. For that, and and you mentioned you had some years of like atheism in your mm -hmm. early yeah, earlier so. years when you were in um, Michigan. Do you yep. want to talk a bit about that? Uh, sure. I mean, where do you want me to start? All the way at the I, yeah. The very, well, how about we go go to the beginning? Like, what was religion like in at your home? Yeah, I think I think you really have to begin there. Um, so I often tell people that my my home was probably the closest thing to a true religious vacuum that you could really be brought up in most of the time in, in the sense that there was, my parents were both nominally Christians, I think. Uh, and we did, we were regular churchgoers till I was uh, six every Sunday uh, to Presbyterian church. I was baptized Presbyterian as a baby, which is their tradition as well as ours. And uh, we went yeah, every Sunday folks till we till I was six. Um, and then as, as can happen, there was a, change in the minister and uh, didn't didn't work so well for my folks. And we stopped going to that church with the, I guess, intention of, of finding another place, but that never happened. So uh, from the age of six, um, we just really didn't do anything. And uh, so my parents were not anti-religious, no problem or no antipathy with religion or anything like that, but they really didn't practice in any visible way. And uh, from the age of six forward, I really wasn't exposed to much of anything most of the time. Uh, and yeah, so, you know, by the time I hit uh, my high school years, I think I thought it would be cool to be an atheist. I don't, I really don't think I knew anything about it. What, mm -hmm. what any, what the stakes of any of it were at all, but it just seemed like the sort of cool, smart. It was thing sort to of be. like a rebellious thing to do. A little bit, yeah. I mean, yeah. And it, were, it, yeah. were you exposed to the the so called new atheists? Well, was this that... was that was really before Dawkins and them had come through. Uh, they they came through more in my uh, in my twenties. I think I was sort of in my master's degree when mm -hmm. when they really hit the scene. So it wasn't so much of that. Um, yeah, it was honestly, it'd be difficult for me to explain beyond a, almost a whim. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and then as I started entering um, university or college, as we call it back in Michigan, uh, I just started getting interested in those questions. Um, and kind of remarkably, and this is this is the piece of the story that often um, surprises a lot of Orthodox Christians and, and a lot of people in general, frankly, that one of the really big um, steps I took toward the church was taking a class, uh, an intro to the Quran. Um, I got a copy translation of the Quran mm -hmm. for this course. And it, over the course, it was sort of a second level undergrad course at Oberlin College. Very, very good course. Excellent uh, professor. Um, and we read the entire Quran over the course of a term, over a semester, studied it. Um, and I found it just so profoundly beautiful and really compelling. And I would look forward in the evening to to my time to open mm -hmm. up. Uh, I still have this the, uh, the translation, uh, and I would just always look forward to op opening this book and sitting with this religious poetry, um, which is really what most of it is. Uh, it was so moving and stirring and, and fascinating. Um, 
And see, I mean, naturally enough, I mean, we won't be surprised to hear after that, that, you know, I sort of thought to myself, well, should I, you know, become a Muslim? Is this like what I ought to do? <laughs> Not mm-hmm. So much, so much depth here. And uh, there's something I think I would find very hard to describe or pin down that just some sort of deep, I almost want to say an inner voice, although it wasn't articulate in any, in any way, but it's an inner sense, maybe. Um, and that's just wasn't quite right. Um, just no, <laughs> just don't quite take that step. I don't, I don't know why. So I sort of hesitated at the precipice and thought, no, not really. And, uh, interestingly enough, I mean, I think, uh, it was sort of two things happened that ended up bringing me, uh, into back into Christianity and then to the Orthodox church ultimately on that front. Um, one was I started reading Psalms as well and discovering that, you know, there was all that same, all that richness and depth of beauty in terms of the religious poetry that I was loving in the Quran was there in the Psalms as well. And that was, that was a big moment. Uh, and also real, starting to realize that, you know, the figure who most captivated me in the Quran was this Jesus who um, is pretty prominent in the Quran, uh, and it, which is not necessarily well known to everybody, but pretty, pretty prominent. And there's some bold declarations about him in the Quran that he is the Messiah. You know, it's, it says right in there, uh, in no uncertain terms. And th- that was, uh, that hit me hard. So it got me, um, sort of interested again in, in this Christianity thing. And, um, I started then now reading scripture, uh, and again, starting with the Psalms mainly was, in my evening reading for a lo- for quite a while and uh and then thought I probably ought to read a gospel and uh so picked up the gospel of John um which I had heard as a child you know now and then um but uh, picked it up for the first time in a kind of seriousness and um yeah that prologue of John was just you know it's one of those it's cliche but just shivers down your spine moments so it's just so powerful what was being said and i think i had yeah i was at a point to kind of get it a little a little bit uh, we never fully get what's going on there of course but uh to get the stakes of it i suppose is the best way to put it that um this is something that if this is true then you know one's whole life really has to change and uh yeah so that that brought me um sort of back to being christian and uh yeah, the the story of how I ended up Orthodox sort of extends from there. Um, sort of uh, trying to figure in my head which which details are best and mm-hmm. most useful to share because it's always very complicated, right? So I ended up transferring to to another university college or college we called it, um, and becoming more and more interested in these religious questions. I decided I wanted to even major in religion, and I considered myself a Christian. Didn't really have a church home yet, um, so I was attending an Episcopalian church for a while now in Holland, Michigan, that uh, which is the American equivalent of Anglicans for us Canadian folk. Mm-hmm. Um, we love our queen over here in Canada. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's right. Well, I'm a Canadian now too. So, um, yeah. So ended up in a time of a lot of struggle and really profound uncertainty and didn't, didn't know what I, what I should do about several things. And, uh, I, uh, I had come to a habit of praying to God by this point And, um, there was, yeah, this incredible, yeah, there's no other way to put it, but utterly, utterly life-changing moment of uh, sitting on my floor in the dark night, uh, I had my, my legs crossed, uh, praying, and 
in in a kind of desperation. It was a it was a low low time, and a, I was just reaching out, and I basically said to God, you know, uh, I need some kind of a sign. You know, I don't think that this is de rigueur or something, but uh, this is I you you got to help me. And I was swept over um, by this intense energy is the only way I could put it. And, and kind of, um, almost a light that I sort of describe as kind of green <laughs> for some reason, but, and it, it's the weirdest thing to say, but like inside my heart, there was, there were words. Um, and yeah, I often say to people in light of this experience, I don't think the Holy Spirit uses words very often. And when he does, he's as he's very terse, as few words as possible, because the words that I sort of discovered in there, which I did, I didn't hear them with my ear. They were in, but they were words. And yet they were, I don't know if you know what I mean, but they were in there in the heart. And the words were, you will convert. And I kind of stood up and staggered, staggered over to my bed and lay down. I was like, oh, just unbelievable. Um, so some of the context of this uh, is that I was at this point um, dating who, the, the woman who's now my wife, my, my lovely wife, Eleni, whose family is Greek, Greek background. And, uh, uh, you know, she was raised nominally Orthodox. They're not much practicing, a fairly typical Greek family. They're pious, but it's not a huge part of their lives most of the time. Um, and it, due to some issues with the family, we were, we were having a really hard time um, seeing each other and trying to keep our relationship going. And this was part of the, the sort of struggle I was I was having and, and trying to find my way out of. And so I had heard of the Orthodox Church and I hated it and I didn't know anything about it. It was just the, those damn Greeks who I frankly couldn't stand. And uh, that was all the, I'd never read a book, didn't, didn't know a single thing. And I had this, that profound experience, I just described this, these words, you will convert. And I knew instantaneously exactly what was meant. You are going to become an Orthodox Christian. You know, you see your way through what's happening with Eleni. And that's what you, that's what you have to do. And I'm, this is no exaggeration. I woke up the next morning. I was like, I guess I better start learning about my new religion. <laughs> Like, like and the just rest knew. is history. <laughs> wow, isn't, isn't that wild? I mean, it, it really was like that. I didn't know a thing yeah. about it, I, and I, and I That's woke wild. up knowing I had to do this, and now I had to find out. And yeah, like whatever. The next Sunday, went to went to a liturgy, and um, for the very first time, Greek church that used about half English. And uh, you know, my wife was uh, she wasn't my wife then, but she is now. Uh, sort of a little anxious, a little nervous. You know what I would think, and. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But for me, I walked in there and it wasn't actually a question of like me testing this out or, or deciding whether it was the right fit or something. It was just like, well, this is what I'm doing. So I'm going to start learning about it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, to take a step back, when, when, when you were, did you ever get involved in any Muslim activities at all when you were reading the Quran? No. Like, I, did you I go didn't. to mosque or anything? No, I, I I never did uh, in in any way. No, I just I just read and appreciated the book. Um, yeah, I mean, I've visited mosques in my life now since. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, but but no, at that time it it never became. Like I said, there was just some sense uh, that that 
oh, how would I put it? Like, th- this is this is good and this is fine and, you know, appreciating the Quran was fine. But it just, I don't know, somehow it just wasn't where I needed to go. I guess so, some part of me just knew that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that story is wild. And, and I don't think many people have a story quite as maybe exciting. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, uh, so, I mean, that's exciting. And, and it ended up working out. You became Orthodox. I did. For better, yeah. for better or for worse. <laughs> Thank God, no. Yeah, much for better. Absolutely. What was the experience of becoming Orthodox-like? Because Orthodoxy is, is for the listeners who don't know, has has not had as let's say as long a history in North America as possible. Mm-hmm. So so a lot of a lot of what it means to become Orthodox, especially if you're in Canada or the United States now, means to take on a certain amount of the culture that it comes from, whether it's Greek culture or Ukrainian culture. So what was the process of becoming Orthodox like? And and just a little maybe to take a step back there was how much were you involved in any other Christian activities at that time? Like, were you, you were involved in that Episcopalian church? Was it, were you like leaving a church to become Orthodox or were you not even super involved in that church? Not really. I would go there on Sundays. Um, I had by that point transferred uh, from Oberlin college, which is in Ohio to hope college, which is in Holland, Michigan, where my mother grew up, where my grandparents lived at that time. They, they both uh, departed this life now, but uh, they lived there their whole lives in Holland, Michigan. Um, what I knew about Christianity was that the t- uh, so I, I should pause for a second here. So Hope College is a uh, part of the Reformed Church of America, uh, which is yeah. So re- from Reformed Dutch Reformed roots, basically, uh, and the type of Christianity there that's sort of official on campus or that you see at you know actual. Um, Hope College chapel meetings and that sort of thing is uh, it's sort of an evangelical reformed thing. Um, and uh, so worship is a lot of praise choruses. Um, I I couldn't connect to it. I would go, you know, I consider myself a Christian at that point. I would go sometimes, or if someone said, hey, you want to come to chapel? I would say, okay. Um, my only, <laughs> the only moments I ever really felt much connection <laughs> to God in that chapel were when I would sometimes sneak in alone and it, between services and they would be open you could go in and and there would be nobody there and sometimes i would sit in the pew and and pray in silence and those were yeah those are the moments i liked being in that chapel but otherwise it was a style of worship that i couldn't i couldn't connect with and um i started to discover with the episcopalians uh two things um i didn't even really have words for these at the time but basically it was liturgy uh i realized was something I really needed. And um, the other thing is uh, communion because I was able to receive communion. I had been baptized as a baby, as I said earlier. Um, and so their their practice at that Episcopalian church was any baptized Christian could come up. So um, I did. I would go up for communion on Sundays when I attended. And, and uh, I, I realized that that meant a lot to me. I really valued that. And there was a sense of connection uh, and uh, uh and communion is something that Dutch Reform do, but it's very different, um, and it's only a, what four times a year. It's it's not very often 
So it wasn't, it's not a big, big part of that reformed Christian life. So I, I think I had a pretty clear sense that the reform thing was not something that I could really do, which is my own religious heritage. You know, my grandfather um, on my father's side was a, a Christian reform minister, um, very beloved. Uh, my my aunt, my dad's sister is, um, is also uh, a Christian reform minister, um, the first woman ever enrolled at Calvin Seminary. Uh, so a good claim to fame for her. She's a wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful woman who I also love very dearly. Um, but I, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't follow that sort of natural, my own ethnic tradition, I suppose you would say. And I mm-hmm. think in retrospect, I'd say it was, I really needed sacramentality and I needed um, uh, uh, liturgy. Uh, and I thought maybe I would just kind of hang in there with the Episcopalians. But again, it there was, it still felt like something wasn't, quite there. And then, and then this just like wild story that I just told you happened. And I, uh, for a little while, I thought about becoming Catholic, actually, because I, I thought, well, if I've come this far with the Episcopalians and it's still not working, I guess the only thing left is Catholicism. And I, that's literally all what I knew. I thought, well, I guess I have to be Roman Catholic. But that was problematic because there's some there's a couple of key beliefs. I say this with no antipathy toward, toward Roman Catholics, but there's a few things I just can't affirm and still to this day can't affirm, um, you know, mainly about papal infallibility is the big one for me. I just, I can't in good faith, uh, I couldn't in good faith have said I believe that. And to convert to Catholicism, I mean, in theory, you, you, you really have to. So it wasn't going wasn't gonna to happen. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know this orthodoxy thing was there, really, except as a, you know, as darn Greeks. And uh, <laughs> so it seems that some someone out there... <laughs> so to speak, uh, knew what I needed pretty well. And it's cause it's funny. I look back in retrospect and, um, and I think, yeah, I was, I was being attracted and drawn towards liturgy, towards sacraments with all the things that are the heart of the Orthodox faith and, and away from, um, this, this different kind of worship community around me. And, uh, but yeah, I couldn't have told you that at the time. It was not me mm-hmm. doing the driving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then, uh, did, you, did it take you long to become a catechumen in a church? So again, for our listeners, a catechumen is the first stage. It's like if you start going to an Orthodox church, it's like dating the Orthodox church. But then when you become a catechumen, it's sort of like getting engaged. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's like that next step. Like, yes, you've committed to actually getting married, but you're not yet married. You've just committed to it in, in a little bit. Yeah. No, so. I think it took me about a year or two to become a catechumen and then I was a catechumen for a, another year um, and so I was received at the uh, a Greek uh, church in Kalamazoo, Michigan the Greek church, the only Orthodox church in Kalamazoo, Michigan um, and as you had asked earlier about the the ethnic experience um, Michigan and Canada are very different on, on this and uh, it's in my experience it's a lot easier um, to attend. Certainly in the Greek archdiocese, the parishes in the U.S. Uh, have a lot more English, and it, I didn't feel nearly uh, an outsider the way I, I might in some very heavily ethnic parishes here well, in Canada. Well, actually, like Southern Ontario, so we live in Hamilton. So like Hamilton, Toronto, like this whole area is extremely ethnic still. Yeah, like Toronto yeah. is one of the most diverse uh, cities in the entire world, if not the most culturally diverse city in the world. And you go to like Western Canada and Ukrainian churches or Greek churches will still use a lot of English. 
Um, it's it's mostly the pocket that we live in. Is, yeah, yeah. Is so maybe I, maybe I'm generalizing Canada a little too much. I mean, it's funny to us though because I grew up in in Southeast Michigan, and this is this is not an exaggeration. It's not a Sarah Palin joke. You can literally see Canada. You can see Windsor from the house I grew up in, <laughs> through, the, through the window in the attic. Uh, so, but you jump that river, and all of a sudden, as Orthodox, it was a very different world. Mm-hmm. So it was not too awkward for me. Um, I I came in with kind of a cohort uh, of people who all um, were sort of converting and going through the same thing at the same time, uh, which made it a lot more comfortable. So there was the Greeks and then there was us, um, about, uh, about a dozen of us, my roughly my age, who were all going through this. Um, and it was, you know, a good, a good priest, uh, Father Evangelos, uh, who was welcoming to us. Uh, and we were mostly treated fine. The, the the parish had its own internal problems at that point, um, and a lot of them did center around the ethnic issues. Um, and I was on the par- shortly after becoming an Orthodox. This is not something I recommend to anyone, but I was on parish council not long after I actually was finally received, and I saw some of the inside of that, and and that was hard. But um, I would say the majority of people were were plenty welcoming. And because it was the only Orthodox church in Kalamazoo, which is actually a pretty big city, it's about 250,000 people. Uh, so it's a decent-sized place with just this one Orthodox church. Um, so I was certainly not the only non-Greek. You know, you had some of the Romanians and others um, who were there. Uh, so that, that was fine. Um, yeah. And there was mm-hmm. enough English that it, it didn't bother me too much. Us Orthodox like to think that when people become Orthodox, that's the end of their journey. <laughs> no. Uh, and uh, I'm wondering, are, are there any times maybe that when you were Orthodox, well, you're still Orthodox, but yep. are, or, uh, have there been any times in which you felt like, you know what, this like spiritual journey, like I'm not yet home? Mm. That there's that there's still this other home, like you said when you were in the um, Episcopalian Church, it, yeah. there was still something, something right? Like maybe next, I'll be yeah. Catholic. That's that's the end of the road for me. Um, do you ever get those feelings bubbling up again? In terms of like religious institution, so to speak, or, or community in this world, uh, no, I really, I really don't. Um, it's. Uh, I I feel like I'm not yet home, but in an existential way. I think that's just because that's true. Um, but no, I I don't I don't think there's a next step for me beyond the Orthodox Church in terms of my religious association in in this world. I will say that there are plenty of times, and there have been a lot of times in the last number of years, when I've been awfully frustrated with the kind of the practicalities of it. Um, you know, we for for quite a while were driving an hour just to go to Sunday liturgies uh, to the to an English parish. Um, and you know, that, that wears on you and <laughs> I, I will not, uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not too embarrassed to say that, you know, as I'm driving past dozens of Roman Catholic churches, you know, the thought has often crossed my mind, like maybe that's good enough. And like, it's just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but it's, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, that wouldn't work. I sort of already said why. I mean, there would just be things I would have to affirm. Uh, it, I mean, I'm in a, a, a different position from some people in that I really deeply love the Western style of worship. Uh, my spiritual father, who just recently uh, uh, died, um, was a Western Rite, a Benedictine monk, an Orthodox Benedictine monk. Um, and uh, I have a, a deep, deep love for the Western uh for the Western right within Orthodoxy and for Western worship in general. So I'm, I'm not at this point, one of these people who finds the, all the Easternness and the Byzantineness to be actually a very big, um, 
draw from me if if anything that's sort of um something i could i can kind of take it or leave it frankly i think i would be quite happy mm -hmm. in a very traditional um western style of worship or, or catholic church um but uh, beliefs also matter to me a lot and uh i think at the end of the day my, my beliefs are are orthodox and i think of myself as a western orthodox christian in in every way yeah our community here in hamilton is very interesting in that I think that I am the only person in the community that has Eastern European blood. Uh, uh, Eleni, Eleni, you should count her as Eleni, Greek, yeah. Yeah. your wife, Greek, yeah. yeah. And then my kids, I suppose, because of the, right. their mom. <laughs> so, yeah. But that's about it. Like our, yeah. our So uh, most of our community is made up of Western people, like, you know, Canadians, basically. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, I think that our I think that our community is trying to navigate what it means to be Western Christians yeah. who worship in the style of Eastern Christians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, um, yeah. And, and and I I you know I think that there will be some growing pains on, on what that's going to actually look like. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a very it's a very interesting journey to be on because I. I personally feel very much at home in a more Western style, I don't know, whatever it is, like a uh, mode of thinking. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm culturally Canadian, right? And being culturally Canadian means that I've inherited the values of, like, say, Anglican Christianity or Catholic mm -hmm. Christianity that, is, that has come into Canada. But I'm an Orthodox Christian. <laughs> yeah. So there's this tension that uh, that 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 we're navigating, which is very very interesting. Yeah, it's and it has been something that's been been part of my you know since being received in the church. Uh, certainly been a part of my my journey as the as the, the we always say, um, trying to figure out my space within all that as well. Uh, because yeah, I mean, I I don't think there's a lot of debate uh, that. Um, the church is not a, a culture. I mean, people will insinuate this very strongly, and some people in the pew might actually even tell you that. But I think if you look at at the holy tradition with a capital T, there's really no there's really no debating that the church is not belong to just one culture. You do, of course, you do not have to be Greek uh, culturally. Of course, you don't have to be Russian culturally or whatever or Ukrainian. Um, but then it's it's living that out that becomes tricky. How do we actually do that? What does that mean for us? I often think of uh, and and even in times when this was felt harder for me, prayed to about this Saint Luke. Um, I often think, you know, what what must it have been like for Saint Luke, this this non Jew, to join up with this sect of Jews uh, who were culturally and ethnically and linguistically Jewish um, to follow a Jewish Messiah. Uh, and because he knew that's what he had to do. He knew that this was his salvation in this man. And uh, they came one of the very first people to start navigating a very, very similar problem. You know, the pearl of great price is in there. And then there's all this cultural accoutrement around it. Um, that everyone agrees isn't the pearl of great price itself, uh, but it the, but the pearl is in there quite deep. Uh, so how do you make contact with it? Um, it's it, it's always a negotiation, and I I think we're going you know our parish and so many places are going through this in a place like North America, um, thinking about 
how we can take from that route, basically a Byzantine liturgical route, um, and be absolutely true to our faith, uh, and then also just be true to who we are culturally. Um, yeah, and, there, and there's always a tension there too, because the culture and the faith don't always align. And, uh, mm -hmm. and of course, we go toward the faith. But that's also true of, of ethnic Orthodox cultures as well. So even if you did grow up in Ukraine, you'd, I, you'd still be struggling with it. Or you should be. You ought to be, I think. Who are the people that you respect the most that are not Orthodox Christians like you? Rowan Williams? <laughs> um my grandfather and my aunt would be on that list who I mentioned before. Uh, absolutely. Um, a, a lot of, a lot of wonderful thinkers. Um, yeah, I mean, it just jumped right to my head. I think it's because yeah. I was talking about him earlier to a student, uh, talking about his book on Dostoevsky. Um, mm. uh, my, my PhD advisor, Peter Whitcomb, Anglican, uh, priest, um, is someone I respect tremendously. Uh, it's a long list. I mean, it, sorry to everyone who's listening. I'm not putting on this list right now. It's your, well, what, you are some you of the common, be, or, what are some of the common attributes of these people? Like what, what draws you to uh, yeah. respect somebody, even though they're not in your tradition? I think when they're a deep thinker with some patience, um, who doesn't jump to conclusions too quickly, uh, then that's a person that I can that I can certainly have an intellectual exchange with, but also a relationship with. Um, and if, if you can talk and take each other seriously and, and hear each other, then, then it'll be okay. Um, and it's not, that's not always true. When we get into the, we get into the religion game, this is just as true of Orthodox as anyone else. Um, there's always a temptation for any of us to become just big zealots and go out there and just say, the mission is to get people to do the right thing or whatever. Um, but people who come in with a curiosity uh, about these questions and come in and want to say, I don't know all the answers. I'm looking for the answers. And that means we can we can be looking together because um, I'm convicted as an Orthodox Christian. I, I, I believe it. And I think it's for the world. I really do. I'm unabashed. I think we should be spreading the gospel. And I think ultimately this is the way. This really is the true church. I believe those things. Um, but... Uh, I don't know everything either. And I, as long as I'm in, in a relationship with someone who's willing to admit that about themselves too, and we can both admit that about ourselves, then, then of course there's going to be new things we can discover from each other and with each other, I think. What are the parts of your faith that make you uncomfortable? So, so aspects of belief that maybe you're like, uh, I believe this, but you know, I'm not sure what to do with it, or or maybe an aspect of the tradition that you're like, this is part of the tradition I'm a part of, but I'm not sure if I subscribe, you know, like and subscribe to it. Oh, that's a that's a good. I'm going to get myself in trouble probably. Uh, <laughs> that's my goal today. Is <laughs> you're, you're the prying face. Get, get right? my you're professor prying. in trouble. <laughs> I think um, I think that there are a lot of things that we do with respect to the most holy theotokos that I think we ought to be thinking about more. Um, right. it was uh, a, so, so the, the term theotokos, 
No, the term that I took is is fine. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah. sorry for our listeners, just to define. Oh, yeah, everything. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the term Theotokos is the mother mother of God. I have absolutely no problem referring to her as the mother of God. I think, in fact, I think one must. I agree completely with Cyril. I'm all on board with Ephesus. Don't worry, I'm not a heretic. I, I just wanted to clarify <laughs> for any listener who was like, "What the heck is that word he yeah, just used?" Yeah. So it's Mary, a, it's Mary a term of, of it's a term of honor to give to yes, Mary, yeah. which is uh, uh, the literal translation would be mother of God or, or bearer of of God. Yeah, uh, which was a term, a theological term, but whatever you can take it from here. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and again, that's not my problem. She is the mother of God. Uh, Christ is is God incarnate, and she is His mother, and absolutely, um, and she's someone we admire and we revere. Um, when I was first becoming Orthodox, I had a little bit of a hang up about about her for like a single evening. I remember thinking, "Oh, is this a problem? Like, can I do this?" Um, and I quickly realized, no, I mean, two things. One, this woman is, by the accounts of the gospel, the first Christian, which is pretty something. She's also a Jew, of course, but she's the first Christian. Um, she's the first to have had the gospel preached to her and assented to it. It's amazing to think, and just that alone is astonishing. And then you think about our theology. I mean, this is a woman who had God in her womb, who nursed God. It's who just, God, God received his humanity from yes, yes. her. It's, it's Mary's DNA. Yeah. It's so profound. It's so shockingly beautiful. And I, in speaking to Protestants, you know, it's like I want to say, um, if you can't have a sense of awe and reverence thinking about the Holy Theotokos, Mary, the mother of God, then I think you're, you're just not... <laughs> There's something missing because to, what you yourselves are affirming about Jesus, how can you not look at his mother and just go, it's just astonishing. So having said all that, and, and by way of emphasizing that the, these aspects of the tradition, I think, are, are wonderful and beautiful. I have no problems with them. I, I think that we uh, really, there are certain practices uh, with respect to uh, the Theotokos that I think we ought to be careful about. There are certain uh, prayer texts. They tend to be the more modern ones. The newer they are, the, the more I start to go, is this, are we really sure? Um, she is the mother of God. She is not a goddess. And I think we ought, to, we ought to be careful about making her a goddess. And I do think that uh, Orthodox really like to say, oh, we're very different. Orthodox in North America, anyway, often like to say, oh, we're very different from the Catholics. You know, we don't, we don't worship Mary like they do. I, I don't think that there's a, a whole lot of difference. I there's, think there's that, that's, the, difference. that's the Orthodox's, uh, Orthodox people's, um, it's the bait and switch. Yeah. We, 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 we are not the Catholics. You'll like us. Yeah. It's like being Catholic without all the bad parts of Catholicism. <laughs> and then people come in and you realize that a lot of it is actually quite similar. Yeah. And there are, there are key differences. But on this point, I don't, I really don't think, having studied this to some degree as well myself, I, I don't see a whole lot of difference. Um, and which, which means, A, I'm, I'm warmer to a lot of the things Catholics do than many Orthodox might be. Uh, it puts me in a funny position. You know, for example, I, a lot of Orthodox harp on Immaculate Conception. I don't think that's a theological problem from an Orthodox point of view. I, I think it's, it doesn't make sense to me to make it a dogma. I can't wrap my head around a big dogma. But um, I think if you understand what's actually being articulated there from within that theological um, uh, vocabulary, it every Orthodox believes it too, <laughs> I think. That's a whole separate mm -hmm. conversation. It's more academic than we want to be tonight. But so on the one hand, I'm warmer to some of these things than a lot of Orthodox are. But on the other hand, I think it makes me think... <sighs> 
Uh, and it's not just vis-a-vis -vis Catholics, but just internally to ourselves. Like, are are we sure? I think we could be a little more cautious about certain things. And in a very similar vein, um, icons too. I have, once again, no problem whatsoever with icons in principle. I don't think there's a theological problem with them. In fact, I think they're wonderful uh, affirmation of Christ's humanity, of the realness of the saints. Um, I follow all that. Icons never bothered me when I was coming in either. That was that was never a hang up. It is for some people, but it wasn't for me. Um, I buy it, but... It, it, <laughs> Icons having feast days, for example, is something I've never really fully understood. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. feast days for saints make sense to me. I don't really, and I'll just put it that way. I mean, I'm not going to stand here and necessarily condemn it. It wouldn't be my place to do that. But I, I wonder, I would like to see us have more of a conversation about whether whether we should really be doing that. Should icons yeah, so really have feast days? Is it the icon that has power? Are we, if we lose sight of the fact that any icon, any miracle performed through an icon, the, the origin of it is God, our savior. Mm -hmm. um, if we lose sight of it, then, then we've lost something. And I think we do sometimes. I think we do sometimes. Yeah. For the listener that isn't maybe not familiar with like the way that Orthodox calendar works is that, um, every single day of the year has certain saints. So, so people like heroes of the faith, so to speak, that have, that have lived and died before us that are remembered on a particular day. And usually it's the day that they died. If we knew, if we know what day they died. So for example, St. Nicholas is a very famous saint. He's become Santa Claus, but St. Nicholas, his feast day is December the 6th. So every year, December the 6th, it's St. Nicholas day, right? I think we're most familiar with St. Patrick's day on the 17th of March, right? So 17th of March comes, that's St. Patrick's Day. But uh, in the Orthodox tradition, there's also developed a tradition of having a feast day for a painting of a saint, usually Mary, the mother of God. And I think this is just, just in um, Slavic tradition. I don't believe that mm -hmm. they appear on the Greek calendar at all or the uh, Antiochian calendar. I, I may be mistaken about that, but I don't believe so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that so I asked you the question about what makes you sort of uncomfortable yeah. about uh, about that. What are maybe aspects? Uh, well, before we get into the last question for the public episode, um, I will just to let everyone know in the Patreon episode, I will be asking more about this Mary thing and the icons thing. Okay, <laughs> this is something I've been thinking a lot about too, and sure. and I'd love to get into that with you um, as well. But uh, to take us to the end today. Uh, for the public episode, I'm wondering about aspects of your faith that that make you sit comfortably or or have rest or you you breathe a mm. sigh of relief or or aspects like that. Yeah, um, my mind immediately goes to coming into the Orthodox Church and and what just seemed to fit. And I I think ultimately. It, it was then and it remains now probably above all the uh, our soteriology which is to say our our vision of what salvation is um you know i had been raised in a uh mostly religious vacuum but to the extent that there was religion around me it was mostly protestant christianity and a little bit of catholic christianity and it's a lot about you know heaven and hell and it's a lot about who gets in and even if you're within communities that are sort of warmer and fuzzier about that um which I mostly was, uh, it still ends up being the focus, you know, as though life is this kind of big test or quiz that has, in a lot of theologies, just, it has just one question on it. 
And the question is, you know, Jesus, yes or no? And the point is to say yes. And then after you die, you you get to, to go to uh, the good place um, to sort of reference the show a little bit. Uh, and that, um, that it was such a preoccupation. And even, even those, the majority of people who I encountered who felt like, well, it's, it's not quite that simple, you know, and, and, and God can save anyway and, and all that. Um, and that's, that's all fine, but it was still, seemed like it was always still predicated on the notion that what salvation is, is it's, well, you get to go to heaven when you die. And to encounter the Orthodox Church, where sir, of course we believe in an afterlife, and uh, and and we do believe in heaven, and we do believe in hell. It's a little bit controversial these days among some Orthodox, but uh, I, you know, I think that's pretty clear in the tradition. It isn't. It isn't the focus, and but even more importantly, I think the notion of salvation is so much broader. You know, salvation is something that's happening right now, or not happening right now for all of us. Salvation is something we get involved in right here at this point in time. The transformation, the becoming of the creature of the kingdom starts today, this very instant. And it goes on forever beyond our death as well, which is why we do have these notions of, of heaven and indeed even hell and the afterlife. Uh, but we don't, we don't have to wait around. And life isn't a big quiz to get correct it, uh, however many questions or however few questions one puts on the quiz, it, it isn't that to begin with. It's, uh, it's the human experience. You know, here we are seeking a transformation into something more beautiful. We, we are creatures who live inside a paradox. We are imbued fundamentally with a sense that there is good and there is true. And yet we're finite in a way that means we cannot truly apprehend or wrap our hands around. We can't even really ourselves actually touch the good and the true. This is something that's been observed by philosophers from Plato in the West all the way through Kant in the West. Kant gets this, he's often forgotten, he's a huge on this. Uh, to Eastern philosophers, it's there in scripture. This is what's going on in Sinai. We can't touch the good and the true, and yet we're we have at the center of ourselves this belief that they're there, this knowledge that they're there. However, even the strongest atheist in the world believes some things are good and some things aren't, and some things true and some things aren't. It's fundamental, like breathing. But we can't reach outside the box. Uh, and the, the amazing thing is the hope we have as Orthodox Christians is this assertion that someone reaches in because we can't reach out. And that reaching in, that contact with the transcendent, with the divine, that is salvation. The becoming one with the one who's reaching into the box, that is salvation. And that begins today. I don't have to wait for the grave. I don't have to wait for a pleasant afterlife or, or an unpleasant afterlife. It starts right now. And I turn away from it. I turn towards it. I wrangle with it. I struggle with it. That's what Christian life is about. But it begins right here now and that's something that um it, i yeah sits comfortably is probably an understatement i mean it's i think uh, probably the only thing i truly believe that i'm certain about if you'd like to listen to the second half of this interview you can head over to patreon.com slash priest your support is what makes this podcast possible thanks for listening
say, why would you look outside yourself when you have all of the world inside?